Good morning. Our scripture reading today is uh, from John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. If you are following along in the Pew Bible, that would be on page 894. John 8, verses 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Amen. Thank you, Jeffrey, and good morning. My name's Nate. I'm on the pastoral team here. We're glad that you're with us today, um, and you're stuck with me this morning as Matt is on his way back from Michigan on a, a father-son retreat with uh, many of our other uh, members and attenders. So um, we'll turn our attention to the text in a moment, but let's pray before that. Heavenly Father, please, by your Spirit, illuminate the words before us from the pages of Scripture so that we might behold your glory in the face of Christ. Amen. I wonder if you are someone who enjoys decorating your home with Christmas lights. I will confess I am. My wife Emma gets a little concerned each year when I climb up onto our roof and I start stringing lights on our gutter, but in my mind it's worth the, the effort and it's worth the, the, the margin, bar, marginal risk that is involved. Um, over the past uh, December, our two-year-old daughter got really into Christmas lights. Anytime that we were in the car from the back seat, even during the day, she would say, more Christmas lights, more Christmas lights. And so we got to take her to one of those drive-through displays, and she just totally loved it. She loved it. I wonder if you, like me and my daughter, are filled with excitement and awe during certain holiday celebrations. Well, it was during a holiday celebration that Jesus actually spoke the words that show up here in John chapter 8 to those who were gathered in the temple. This passage is a continuation of Jesus' discourse that began in chapter 7, where we're told in verse 2 there that the Feast of Booths was at hand. The Feast of Booths. Uh, it's also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was a week-long Jewish holiday that began in Moses' day, and the instructions were spelled out for it in Leviticus chapter 23. The people during the celebration were supposed to set up essentially little tents called booths, which is where the name comes from. Um, the Israelites would live in these booths for the week, remembering God's deliverance from Egypt and his care for them as they wandered through the wilderness 
often residing in temporary structures. After the exiles, this holiday, um, during the time of the Second Temple, became something of a massive celebration. And Jewish tradition tells us that one who had not seen this celebration of the Feast of Booths never saw celebration in his days. In other words, if you haven't seen this, you've seen nothing. And one part of the ceremony during this week involved lighting huge torches in the temple. Uh, The ceremony is recorded for us in the Mishnah. It records that in the courtyard of the temple where all this took place were these huge 16-gallon basins that were uh, affixed on top of these really tall poles. And then the craziest part of it all was that they would have a bunch of kids climb up ladders carrying buckets of oil, fill up these basins, use the priest's old trousers as a wick, and then light them ablaze. Now that makes hanging Christmas lights on your roof child's play, if you ask me. The missioner records that the light from the torches was so bright that there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not illuminated from the light. What a brilliant display of light that must have been. Beams of orange just cascading down from the temple into the city. And this is the backdrop of Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. Uh, If we put it in our own context, imagine being at Lakewood Park on the 4th of July. The grand finale of fireworks has just finished, and Jesus steps up, and he says, Did you see that? That has nothing on the light that I offer. Jesus is the master of the visual aid. If you're someone who's a teacher, you know, especially with young kids, how important it is to link the teaching of a concept to something tangible. And throughout John's gospel, Jesus is using objects and visual aids to teach his listeners, who are primarily Jews, who he is and what he's about. He he takes the essential components of Jewish life, the things that were really familiar to them, their practices and their beliefs, their feasts and their holidays, and he connects those things with his identity and purpose. He's the Word, the Lamb, the Temple, the Vine. In chapter 6, during Passover, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And by saying that, he's connecting himself with the, the primary symbol of the Passover feast, unleavened bread, as a way of saying, I'm the culmination of God's deliverance from bondage. I'm the provision in the wilderness. And then in chapters 3 and 7, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And the water that I give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Water was the other big symbol that was a part of the Feast of Booths because it was poured out in a dramatic ceremony in the temple that recalled the same way that God provided water from a rock in the desert. And so Jesus is proclaiming, I am the source of water. I am the one that will replenish and satisfy you forever. And then in chapter 8, our passage today, Jesus stands in the place where these blazing torches flood the city with light, and he says, I am the light of the world. We have to give Jesus some credit. He's he's a brilliant teacher using uh, these methods to masterfully uh, take the objects that are right before him and his, his listeners and to use them to tap into what his listeners are most familiar with, their practices, their beliefs, their feasts, their festivals, and uses them then to declare his identity and purpose. 
In fact, all those symbols which he used were actually a part of God's plan to, to foreshadow the coming of the Savior. When Matt, Jeff, and I talk about preaching, we, we often talk about not waggling too much like golfers do when they get, get ready to hit the golf ball. I'm, I'm a golfer, so I can make fun of myself in that way. Um, not to waggle too much as we uh, jump into the text in our introduction. But today, uh, I've taken a little more time to kind of get us going because we are so far removed from this culture that Jesus speaks into. And I want us to, pr- to appreciate what Jesus is doing here. Right? He's making references to what the Jews are uh, most familiar with, to physical objects that they could touch and see that, that, were, that were before him. And he does this in order to show them that he knows them, but also to capture their attention. And most importantly, to show that he is actually the fulfillment of these very symbols. All that was foreshadowed, he is now bringing into the light. For all of the promises that God made in the past, he is now the answer. And he is the one that they've been waiting for all along. He is the Messiah, God's promised one. So John 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Jesus' words today, we have a truth, an invitation, and a promise. I am the light. In the Old Testament, light was an important word in describing God. It was used to speak of God's guidance. Your word is a light to my, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Light symbolized God's protection. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And most significantly, it was the light of God's own presence the cloud of his glory, the evidence that he was with his people that guided Israel by day and by night through the wilderness. And that's actually why the Feast of Booths came to include this great ceremony with these massive torches. It was reminiscent of the very cloud of God's glory that protected and led and accompanied the people all the way to the promised land. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's he's connecting himself with all of that imagery. He's saying, I am the light that guides Israel in the wilderness. I am the glory of God, here for you, here with you. Follow me. We might summarize it this way. Jesus is light because he allows us to see and to know God. Apart from Jesus, we're left in the dark. And that's because God's presence is so great, so powerful, like the blaze of the sun, that if we were to approach God, we would be consumed by his glory. In John's words, John's words, God, whom no one has ever seen, Jesus has made him known. In the words of the author of Hebrews, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, Jesus has made God known. And this is what Jesus says when he says, means what he says when he says he is the light. He shines forth the knowledge and the glory of God. He chases away the darkness and the ignorance towards God. To know Jesus is to know God. To see Jesus is to see the very glory of God. Without Jesus, we're left in the dark. But because of Jesus, we can see and know God. 
And Jesus is uniquely able and qualified to reveal the true God because, as we see in his argument with the Pharisees in the remaining verses, Jesus knows that he is one with God. He lives in perfect unity, unity with God, a oneness that the Pharisees in this conversation flat out reject. We see in verse 13 that they try to just ignore and void Jesus' statement, saying that if he's the only witness to such a truth, then his words can't be trusted. And this was a, a test that was kind of taken from Deuteronomy. Um, you might think of it this way. If your friend told you that um, while they were on a walk in the Metro Park, they saw Bigfoot, you'd for sure think it was a mistake. But if two of your friends, trustworthy friends, both saw it, you'd at least be maybe a little curious or know that they were in cahoots with each other. And the Pharisees are saying it needs to be verifiable. We need a second witness. Otherwise, your case is no case at all. But really what's going on is they're, they're not interested in listening. They're just using a tactic to dismiss and discredit Jesus. They're more interested in winning the argument than in having true wisdom. Jesus replies, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. Jesus just sidesteps their pedantics because he knows that a jury or a successful legal argument does not determine his identity. He knows where he's from. He knows where he's going. He was sent by his father. He will return to his father. Plus, even if he plays by their rules, Jesus says he does actually have a second witness. Jesus' second witness, as he says in verse 17, is God the Father himself, the very same God they claim to worship. But the Pharisees won't hear it. They've, they've made up their minds, which is why they ask in verse 19, where is your father? They're not misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. They're, they're actually insulting him. Look around, Jesus. Where's your dad? This might have even been a jab at the likely reality that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, had already passed away by this time. And Jesus replies, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. To know Jesus is to know God the Father. You cannot have one without the other. That's what Jesus is saying. Thus, for these Pharisees, their rejection of Jesus is indicative of the reality that they are blind to the true character of God. For many people today, I think the opposite is actually quite true. They're happy to accept Jesus, but they reject any association that he might have with the God of the Old Testament. They're glad to sort of open the shades and let some of Jesus' spiritual light in in what he has to offer, just as long as you allow the other sources of, of light and truth shine too. They see Jesus' wisdom as one light among many, each illuminating in different ways a collective body of all that is good and true. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's not a light. He is the light. He's not the light of a select religious group. He is the light for the whole world. Apart from Jesus, the implication is clear. The world is in spiritual darkness. According to Jesus' words, we cannot accept him but reject the God who sent him. Or, like the Pharisees, reject Jesus, but believe that we've got the right idea of who God is. 
When Jesus says, I am the light, he proclaims a great truth. He alone allows us to see and know God. In Jesus' words, we also have an invitation. Jesus is the light of the world, to the world, for the world. Light describes who he is and his nature, but it also describes his mission. He has come to shine light on all mankind like the sun's rays that shine for the good of all. Jesus came down to us, that, and he shines light in the darkness, not in order so that he might judge, but so that he might save, he says in John three seventeen. William Hendrickson says it this way, To the ignorant, Jesus proclaims wisdom. To the impure, holiness. To those in sadness, gladness. He is the light of the world, to the world, for the world. So that whether you are Jew or Gentile, intelligent or not, distinguished or common, whoever follows Jesus will receive this light of life which he offers. Jesus' mission is to shine light into the world's darkness, which is why he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. If you take that, uh, that statement, the opposite is also true. Whoever does not follow Jesus is walking in darkness. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Well, have you ever tried to navigate an unfamiliar place in the dark? Or maybe even a familiar place? I think of my own house. Um, I think I know it pretty well, but I can't possibly predict where my children's toys are lurking on the floor as I try to traverse the family room while the lights are off. I'm bound to trip to hurt myself, to be disoriented. And this is essentially the picture that Jesus is describing. Apart from his light, we are fumbling around in the dark. To be walking in darkness means, first of all, that we do not know God. We're blinded, so to speak, from seeing who he is and knowing his greatness and his love. Walking in darkness means that we disregard God. We, we actively rebel against him. We unknowingly rebel against him. We intentionally rebel against him. And even if you're skeptical of God, I bet you would agree that we all feel a sense of darkness at times in our world, right? Darkness around us. Calamity, chaos, fear. Darkness between us. Division, hatred, evil, injustice. Darkness within us. Mental illness, doubt, insecurity, pride, selfishness. We can feel the darkness of our world. And yet Jesus' own diagnosis is even more grim. In John 3, 19, he says, The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. He says we actually prefer the darkness. The darkness is all around us. That's, that's easy enough to see, right? But, but it's also in us. It's, it's in our very nature. And I think we know it to be true if we start to consider what might happen if the skeletons in our closet were exposed, if the deeds that we buried with the past were unearthed, if, if our darkest moments actually came to light. Because sin lurks in our hearts, we're naturally afraid of the light. We can cloak our imperfections in the dark. We can hide our mistakes. We can conceal our insecurities. But what might happen if, if God shines his light on me? I'll be seen for what I am. I'll be exposed. 
Yet Jesus' mission in coming to the world was not one of anger and shame, but of grace and love, inviting us to step into his light with our mess, with our imperfection. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Whoever, whoever means whoever. Do you want to stop wandering in spiritual darkness? And what are you waiting for? No one is too lost or broken. No one is too, too trapped by darkness that the light of Jesus cannot dawn a new day in your life. Step out into Jesus' light. He has already stepped down into the darkness of our world. Step out into Jesus' light. He has already gone to the end of the path which our darkness leads, the grave. Step out into his light, not because Jesus will overlook your sin and shame, but because he has already been judged for it at the cross. Look to Jesus. See the glory of God. See his scars that show his love. He paid the price. There's no prerequisite. We don't have to do anything else, nothing that we need to bring. We simply need to come. He, he invites us to follow Lastly, in Jesus' words, we find a promise. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus promises life to all who follow him. All that's required of us is to follow. Following means believing, walking day by day in faith. To understand following, it's helpful for us to recall the picture of God's people as they wandered in the wilderness, right? Each day, they followed a pillar of cloud and fire, the very presence of God as he led them to their new home. And this is what Christ calls us to do, to walk by faith with him day by day, keeping close to him all the time. We will not walk in the darkness if we rely on Jesus as our light and guide. A friend of mine is legally blind, and he often relies on the arm of another person in order to be led where he needs to go. Uh, probably on a daily basis, he gives his trust up to someone else in order to be led from place to place. And this is what Jesus is asking of us, that we will give him our trust and that he will do the rest. If we do, we will not walk in darkness, but he promises we will have the light of life meaning we won't be blind to God anymore. Rather, we will marvel at the beauty of his glory and his goodness. We won't hide in our sin and our shame. We will let Christ's light shine into us with the assurance of knowing that he has entered our darkness to free us. We won't be confused about the purposes of our lives because we will follow in faith as he leads us. And most significantly, we won't merely see Jesus' light, but we will possess it, we'll have it. His light is life, and life will become ours. Jesus is promising here, like he does in other instances in the, the book of John, that we will live not just now, but forever. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, which puts God's act of regenerating dead hearts in terms of light and dark. He says, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in 
in the face of Jesus Christ. So just as God created light out of nothing, out of darkness when he spoke, when Jesus' light shines on us, we become new creations. And immediately something happens. Paul says in, in Colossians 1.13 that God transfers us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son, meaning we are presently today in Christ, qualified for eternity with God, and we are delivered out of the grip of darkness. And not only that, but God's Spirit in our lives initiates a process in us by which as we behold God's glory, He transforms us one degree at a time, slowly but surely. Might He be calling you to follow Him today? Can you feel the rays of God's light breaking over the horizon and warming your soul? What is stopping you from following Him? Maybe other sources of light have been taking up your vision. Humans are hardwired to search out meaning in life, to seek the light of understanding. Some of the phrases we use today borrow from this light meaning symbolism, like I, I had a light bulb moment, or he finally saw the light. Even major periods in human history are named in reference to light, the dark ages, the enlightenment, People seek out the light of understanding, and they use all sorts of, of means to do so. Science, philosophy, mindfulness, politics, and so on. There are so many things that call out to us today, offering to shed some light. We are people who walk in darkness, who were made for the light. And Jesus is here saying, I am the light. Some of us may be similar to the Pharisees who rejected Jesus. It's frightening to see that the people who are so well acquainted with knowledge about God, even so well versed in religion, can remain detached from God. Because Jesus shows up on the scene here with these Pharisees and he threatens to disrupt their neat system of religion. They want God, but on their own terms, in their own little box that they can control. But that's actually no God at all. Their ministry and their own religiosity had become their God. Jesus came to his own, but his own rejected him. And so we who are well-acquainted and well-versed Christians have to be really careful that we, we don't blind ourselves with our own self-made light of self-made religion. The only life-giving light is in Jesus. As we humbly follow, believe, trust, that despite our foibles and our fumbles in life, he is faithful. Some of us may find ourselves questioning the brightness of Jesus' light. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've, you've been in a season of has, having some serious doubts. Well, I was helped by uh, Kent Hughes, who writes this. If you are confused as a believer, there's a good chance you again need to submit to God. I would encourage you to do what is implied here, to stay under the cloud like the Israelites did. You must not run ahead of the cloud or stand behind it. You must stay underneath it. That requires faith and submission to the will of God. The word follow in John 8 verse 12 is a present participle. It means to continue and keep on continuing. Keep on continuing to follow. You say, how, how do I follow? 
J.C. Ryle wisely said this. The child that says, I will not learn anything until I know something, will never learn at all. The, the man that says, I must first understand everything before I become a Christian, will die in his sins. Let us begin by following, and then we shall find light. We should pray. Pray with Paul that God would open up the eyes of our hearts so that we might behold the glory of God. And you might ask, well, how can we know that the promises of God are trustworthy? The last verse of our passage today, John 8, verse 20, offers us great encouragement. Look with me. John 8, 20. As Jesus taught in the temple, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. The truth was that Jesus was perfectly safe in the midst of danger, in the midst of his enemies, because God had an appointed hour for him. No one could lay as much as a finger on him until his time had come. Though people opposed Jesus, though they ridiculed him, though they chased after him, though they eventually nailed him to a cross and killed him, they could not stop what he came to do. The grave could not snuff out the light of the world. John puts it this way, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. And that same power that preserved and protected Jesus and ultimately raised him from the grave will preserve and protect us, not from death necessarily, but through it, and raise us up to glorious light forever. Today, our lives may still seem pretty dark. Sin and Satan still rage in our world. Are you weary and troubled? Well, then hear Jesus' words. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 